This is episode number 319 with Koya Webb. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. episode is brought to you by Bio-Optimizers. You guys know I'm a massive health nut. And what I've learned through all my study is that there's one mineral that you need to make sure that you're getting enough of, and that is magnesium. Now, magnesium is the body's master mineral, powering over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, and digestion. Now, most supplements contain only one to two forms of magnesium when there are seven that your body needs and benefits from. The good news is, is that when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep to pain and inflammation. It all improves and fast. That's why I'm so excited that my friends over at BioOptimizers have formulated Magnesium Breakthrough, the ultimate magnesium supplement with all seven forms of magnesium. For 10% off with the code MELISSA, head to magbreakthrough.com forward slash MELISSA. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash M-E-L-I-S-S-A. Bio-optimizers are so confident that you're going to like it that they'll give you all your money back if you don't. So head to magbreakthrough.com forward slash Melissa to get yourself some magnesium today. Koya is an internationally recognized yoga teacher, celebrity holistic health coach, author, speaker, and vegan activist whose core mission is to promote daily self-care, oneness, and eco-friendly living to combat some of the world's biggest challenges, including mental health, social injustice, and global warming. She is the founder of Get Loved Up, an international lifestyle community and yoga school that inspires mental, spiritual, and physical health through an app, online courses, retreats, in-person yoga teacher training events, and the Get Loved Up podcast. She is also the author of Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, How to Turn Common Obstacles into Seeds for Growth, which addresses daily self-assessment and mindfulness, understanding how to make fear your friend, and using the power of holistic health to heal all messages she promotes to her devoted Instagram following of over 1 million followers. 
This episode is so timely. It's very important. You're going to get so much out of it. So in this episode, we chat about Koya's experience as a black woman and what that's been like for her, and especially during this time. What being anti-racist is truly about and why posting about it is not enough. Acknowledging white privilege and unlearning all the systemic and grave values to lead us to live in alignment with love. How to change the narratives and actually impact, enrich, and make our communities truly diverse. Why discomfort is crucial for growth. Why racism is a public health issue and how fear is blocking us. How inclusion and oneness lead to diversification. How to break the system of oppression. Why tokenism is actually fake inclusion and how you can authentically help and raise other voices. Why you should always vote, get involved in politics and choose love over fear. And that's just the surface of what we talk about. We dive so deep. She even pulls me up on something that I say in this episode. I am really excited for you guys to dive in. It's a very important topic. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 319. But before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it's a five-star review from Vanessa McCarrick. And it's titled, I Keep On Coming Back. Melissa and her podcasts are the best. What I've learned and implemented in my life since discovering them have changed my life for the better forever. Monday motivations are the best in capital letters. I love listening to them on my short commute to work. Thank you for being so genuine and passionate. Please keep it coming. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for that beautiful review. I'm super grateful. And as a little thank you gift, I want to gift you my Wildly Wealthy Guided Meditation. And that's for anyone who leaves me a review. Just send a screenshot into hello at melissarambrosini.com and I will send you my Wildly Wealthy Guided Meditation. And if you want to get my Bursting with Love Guided Meditation, you can leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both. And again, send me a screenshot and I'll send that meditation over to you. And now let's get this party started. Let's dive into this epic conversation with the incredible Koya Webb. Beautiful Koya, I am so excited to have you here. Even though we had a little bit of technical issues, I'm so excited that you're here. Before we dive in though, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh my goodness. What I had for breakfast this morning was I start my day with lime water. So I had water and lime just to get my digestive system pumping. And then I had an epic superfood smoothie. So in my smoothie, I have like two to three bananas, pineapple, strawberry, mango, and then I have like a handful of greens, some kale, and then I put some chaga mushroom. I put my Get Loved Up protein and some beet powder, and it was great. Yummy, yummy, yummy. That sounds amazing. I'm so good. I wish I was there sharing that with you. It sounds delicious. 
I'm really excited and grateful that you have come on. I firstly wanted to just ask how you are doing. Like with everything that is going on in the world right now, how are you? Like how's your heart? Like what's this been like for you? Thank you so much for asking. And I am officially exhausted, but also hopeful. I just did my first protest. I've been doing online protests this whole time, but I did my first in-person protest yesterday on International Yoga Day on Solstice. So I taught a couple of times and then I went out and I sang and I spoke and I just 100% of me was on deck. And it felt so, so great to give in such a huge way. But today, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Yes. And it's been so big. I saw the protest I saw on your Instagram and a couple of our mutual friends who were there, Sahara and Alyssa, they were there. And I saw you, by the way, you know, your voice, I was just like, wow, she can sing. She can really sing. So I witnessed everything that happened yesterday in the protest in LA. So what has it been like for you? I want to hear about, like, tell us what it's like being a black person going through this experience. Like, how is this home for you? And what's it been like? Oh my God, it's been a roller coaster of emotions, to be honest. And I can't speak for all black women. I can speak for myself as a black woman. I can't speak for all black people. I can speak for my experience as Koya Webb, as a black woman. And for me, it has been eye-opening because not eye-opening what I have experienced because I've been experiencing microaggressions since I was a little girl growing up in the South. I was really not fond of the racism and black and whiteness of the South, which is honestly one of the main reasons I moved to California because I just wanted more diversity. And so growing up with all of these instances of abuse and neglect was very, very hard. And I feel like for me, I normalized it. For a long time, I was like, "Just this is just the way it is. And if I want to get far in life, I'm just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. And I'm going to have to be 10 to 20 times better than every single person in the room all around me. And I just made my frustrations my fuel. And honestly, it's not that bad things didn't happen. A lot of bad things happened, but I chose personally to use it as my fuel to become a better person and make sure no one else was treated as crappy as I was treated. So I think that having all of this come up at this time it gives me hope. And that's why I say I'm hopeful because I feel like we're actually having a conversation. And me, about two years ago, I had to choose to be anti-racist because I had normalized it. I had just accepted like, that's just the way it is. That's what my parents told me. This is just the way it is. Deal with it and be better and be the light. And, you know, and that's one way of looking at it. And I'm grateful for my parents because of that. But when it comes to being a change maker, which is what I am, an activist, I know that I had to myself do what I'm asking all of my allies and friends and family of every single race to do is become anti-racist. So I can no longer tolerate being abused. I can no longer tolerate seeing other people being abused. And I have to stand up for what's right every single time. And that's why I'm hopeful. Mm, That's so beautiful. Yeah, I definitely feel that hope as well. 
I feel like everything is getting shaken up and so many people are waking up and listening and they're taking action and using their platforms to share, which I just think is amazing. Like people that I wouldn't have expected to really speak up about it are speaking up about it. And I love that you said you had to become anti-racist yourself and you're a black woman and you even had to because you had normalized it and I think you know yeah a lot of people probably are in the same situation as you where they just have normalized it but I love that you have said that you had to even stand for that because if you want other people to do it then you've got to do it so I love that you have taken that stance and look at what, you know, is happening and the shifts that you're making in the world at the moment. It's amazing. So I want to talk to you about what it actually means to be anti-racist. Like, what does that mean? And, you know, it's not just about posting on Instagram for two weeks and then forgetting about it. So what does it mean and what can we do about it? That's a really great question because I see a lot of people trying and trying to make a, you know, intentional intentional efforts towards being anti-racist, but the impact sometimes of it missing the mark because of miseducation is very impactful in a negative way. And so, I would say the number one thing to do is not just post about it, but be about it. You really have to go into the resources and understand what is white supremacy? What is white fragility? What is racism? What does it mean to be anti-racist? You really have to go in and study and then connect with your community and other people, a Black woman like myself or someone else, and actually have conversations because that's how you're going to know you're absorbing it. For a case in point, so I'm in a group of influencers and basically a white woman said, hey, Koya, I am, you know, being anti-racist and I made this post and I'm doing all these things. And then I told them that I need help with a situation that I was going through where it was very hurtful to me and it really hurt my feelings. And I showed her the, the text where this woman told me, like, you know, I was trying to tell her how I had been offended and, you know, the things that I went through because of what I was disregarded. I was, you know, all these things I experienced. And then her response to me was, maybe it was just a misunderstanding. So that is not anti-racism. So even though this person had went through the resources, they didn't understand that just taking what I said and I felt as an intelligent, very aware Black woman and just saying, oh, that maybe was a misunderstanding is white fragility. But even though she went through it, she didn't know that until I brought it to her attention. And then when I brought it to her attention, I said, what about what I sent you was a misunderstanding? She reread it. She's like, oh, she realized that it wasn't a misunderstanding. It was a microaggression. Telling someone that they need help because you don't agree with what they have to say is a microaggression. So if someone tells you what you said harmed me, whether it would harm you or not, you have to take it. It's just like someone saying, okay, come over. And he was like, can you please take off your shoes before you walk in the house? And they're like, I walk in everyone else's house with my shoes. It's not about what you do to other people. It's, about, it's not about other black people. You can say, if I say calling me a nigga is offensive to me or calling me a bitch is offensive to me, it is offensive to me. You can call someone else that. They might be fine with it. They look just like me. They could be my twin. 
I don't care. If I say it's offensive, it's offensive. And so when it comes to respect, I think letting people know and having these communications, it's not just a blanket thing that can work for everyone. It's literally communicating. And when someone tells you, hey, this really hurt me, listening to them and not making them the problem. So in this instance, the woman had made me the problem. And then when I shared it with someone else, they said, maybe it's a misunderstanding. So all of that was traumatizing because I loved both of these women very dearly. And so that's what I experienced in high, (laughs) this is among spiritual educated women. So if I'm experiencing that and I'm feeling the emotional turmoil of that, think about people that really don't like Black people. I mean, they go around offending, profiling, neglecting. And I just want to bring it home because I know no one, probably not many people listening to this podcast intentionally harm someone. But I think there are a lot of microaggressions that are happening. And again, the only way they can be brought to the light is with conversation with someone that does not look like you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't think anyone, you know, yeah, would go out and intentionally do that. Maybe some people would, and especially, you know, not many people listening to this show, but it is ingrained in us, like, especially in Australia, like there was, I'm not joking, maybe one black person in my school, one, and I'm learning and I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, I don't know everything, but I'm educating myself. I'm learning. I'm having the conversations. I'm here. I'm showing up as best as I can. But one of the biggest things I think we need to do is acknowledge our white privilege because there's so many people that say, well, I don't see color and you know, that color blindness and, well, you know, I grew up here and that's not my fault, but it is systemic. This white privilege is systemic and we need to acknowledge it. The first time it was brought to my attention was when I was writing my first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I submitted the manuscript and I got the notes back from the editor. And she said to me, Melissa, you can't say this like this. You're going to alienate people. And I think what I said was, I'm just like you, you know, an ordinary girl, like from an ordinary, like I kind of just said it like that. I wasn't meaning it harmfully. And she was like, you actually cannot say this, like, because you have white privilege. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that was a blind spot for me. Like I didn't see it. It didn't even come into my mind when I was writing that, but she shone light on something for me that I needed to see. And since that moment, this was about six years ago, since that moment, it has been, I'm aware of it now. And I think we all, every single person listening needs to be mindful of this and own our white privilege. It's really important. So what does it mean? Like, what is white supremacy? What is white privilege? What does it mean from your perspective? So it's funny because when I first heard the word white supremacy, I was like, I don't like white supremacy. No one's supreme over me. We're all equal. Da, 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 da. Uh, hello. I'm sorry. As much as you want to say that, it's not that anyone is. It is the way the world and systems are set up to value white lives over black lives or lives of any person of color. That is the way it is in the government and healthcare and educational. That is just how it's set up. Kids learn it in elementary school and they they did a doll test on YouTube where kids looking at two dolls and they will all say the white doll is the good doll, the black doll is a bad doll, the white doll is a pretty doll, the black doll is the ugly doll. And that is what is ingrained in our consciousness because of how we are treated. And like you said, it's systemic. So when you grow up that way, you actually have to un 
learn viewing the world and we all have learned it because of our media, because of music. If you look at TV and you know all the people used to getting married and having all these good things happening are white people. I didn't see growing up, I didn't see many people that look at me like having this great life. How am I supposed to visualize? How am I supposed to attract? I mean, what, am I going to put someone that looks like you on my vision board? When, can I really relate to that? Do I really feel like it's going to happen to me or is it just for you? And so the more we start to diversify and the more people, Black people get included, you know, in the media, in film, as you can see, it's starting to happen now. And what is happening? More success. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows. But if you don't see that, you actually don't think it's possible. And I feel like when I think of white supremacy, it's again, it's looking at someone, white people as great, greater than, more beautiful, more potential, just more everything. And so there are two things, you know, like you said, as a white person, you have to become aware of it. You have to acknowledge it. And as a black person, not only do you have to acknowledge it, but you also have been born with that same white privilege. So you usually move out the way. Well, I know she's first. I know they're going to pick her. So we literally are just like, well, I know this is going to happen. So let me move out the way. Let me move off the sidewalk so that you can walk. And that's another way that I've learned like, no, I have to stand in my power. I have to speak up. I have to say it is my turn. I have to say my voice matters. I will have to say I cannot and will not be disrespected. And that's how I became anti-racist. I did not allow myself to be respected. And I do not allow others within earshot. If I hear someone disrespecting someone, it is my responsibility as a spiritual being of love consciousness to say something about it. Because I truly believe if you're talking down about someone else, you're talking down to me and about me. And I take it personal. And that's what oneness is about. And that's what it means to live in alignment with love. And I think we all have to learn to do that. It's not funny to joke, to gossip, to make fun about someone. What are they going through? Do you know their reality? Do you know their pain? Do you know how they're hurting? So if we all make this conscious effort not to allow other people to be put down, talked about, oppressed, and if we all work on removing these systems of oppression from our healthcare, from our judicial system, from our police system, that's when we're going to see real change. And from politics. Oh, 100% from politics. Lord have mercy. I mean, we are getting more diversity, but it, it needs to be coming in droves. And that's because light workers like us and spiritual people that want to, don't want to touch politics, we need to get involved. We need to get involved. We have to say our voice matters and we need to take that spirituality and awareness and law of attraction and all that stuff into politics and realize we're all one. There's not a just politics or just this. We're all connected. We're all interconnected, interweaved. And if you truly believe that, then all of it matters. Everything is a part of us. Mm, absolutely. I heard a analogy about white supremacy that I want to share with you. And they were saying that, yes, it exists. And in a way that we can explain it is like, we're all kind of, you know, we're all floating down a stream. White people are going in the direction that the stream is flowing, that the current is going. And Black people are like fighting the current. They are being pushed against a current. So they're, we're all on the same journey, but they have this current that they are working against constantly. And that's what they deal with. That's what, you know, Black people of color deal with on a daily basis. And we have to make a shift. We have to make a change. And it starts 
you know, with us embodying it. I like what you said. It's like, yes, learn and then do it in your own world. You know, what I've been doing is learning myself and then sharing it with my husband, sharing it with my stepson, sharing it with my friends, sharing it with my family and obviously online as well. And that's a great place that we can start. So what about speaking with family members or friends who are racist? Like, how do we approach that? I think first, just challenging narratives. So let's take the narrative you just said about the stream. Okay, you have a stream going and, you know, I learned about the stream and flowing with going with the flow from Abraham, you know, and I realized that I needed to go with the flow, go with the stream, not forcing my way against the current, right? So even to say Black people are going against the current would mean they're doing something wrong, right? So I challenge this narrative to say we're all flowing with the stream, right? And in front of black people is a hurdle and then a block and then a wall. (laughs) As you see, there are blocks versus them going the wrong way. Because again, everyone's going in the flow. But the thing is, there's so many hurdles one has to jump when going with the flow. Yeah, I was just going to say, I didn't mean they're going in the other direction. What I meant was they've got obstacles. That's what I meant to say. They've got obstacles like a current maybe coming from another way or like a rip or something like that. But yeah, you said that much better. Like they've got blocks and they've got things. That's what I was trying to say. Right. And I love that because, again, I like to bring things practically, like us having this conversation and, okay, let's change that narrative. When we hear that narrative, now we can say everyone's flowing with the stream, but there are blocks and hurdles and rocks in in front of people of color and Black people that makes it harder. So even though they're flowing in the right direction, all of these systems of oppression are these rocks, are these tributaries, are these branches in the way. Because we're all going through life. We live, we go through these things and we end. And so that is, that is, you know, and I get your point, right? I get your intention. But what I tell people is intention doesn't equal impact. The impact of thinking, okay, white people are flowing downstream and black people are flowing upstream and making it harder for a person who knows I should go with the flow. It has a negative impact for me and the life of black people, Right. And you see it, you get it, you feel it. And so it's about us not being afraid to be wrong, not being afraid to say something like, do I love you any less for saying that? No, because what? You didn't intend to make it feel like, oh, dang, like y'all going the wrong way. But that's how I received it. And that's how other people could receive it. So now we can change the narrative. And I think that is what it's all about. It's not being stuck in our stories and our heads, but actually listening and communicating and saying, ooh, I get what you're saying. Wow. Yeah, we are flowing all in the same direction. And there is a lot of hurdles and obstacles. But if someone's flowing upstream, it is, yes, obstacles. But if I flow upstream, if I ride a bike uphill, like I feel like this battle of racism is an uphill journey. And I plan on making it up. But comparing, my goal is we're all taking this uphill journey. We're all going up. It's going to be a hard mountain to climb. So once you separate, two races and you talk about them, then we're talking about them in context to one another. And so what we say matters, the impact matters. And the only way we'll know is not by reading a book. It's not by looking at a me. It's not about knowing a definition. It's by listening and allowing yourself to receive. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I've learned so much over the past couple of weeks and yeah, so, so much about it. So what else can we do? Like what else can we do to really make an impact and really shift things up? 
Well, I think you're doing a great job by just having a conversation with me, inviting me on your podcast, saying, asking, what can we do? Any person dealing with trauma, it's not about thinking you have all the right answers to handle that trauma. It's asking them, how can I hold space for you? How can I help? Because everyone's going to need to be helped a little bit differently. And that goes when we're talking about racism, that goes when we're talking about any type of trauma. So I think just asking each individual person, if you're working with a group of people, asking that group, how can I be supportive? Some people might want financial support. Some people might want emotional support. Some people might just want to be heard. And so I think if you really want to help, it's literally having these hard conversations like we're having, you know, amplifying Black voices, knowing that Black businesses are out there that are amazing, great, and fabulous. I love like seeing so many Black-owned businesses getting promoted now because a lot of my friends, you know, and being a Black woman in mostly white spaces living in Marina Del Rey, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know this person is this or this or this because it's, again, just focus on my community and my circle of friends. But when you diversify, when you open up and you take the blinders off and you look around, you're like, wow, there's so many people, Black people that have things that I would love to be a part of. They have, you know, a platform, a speaking voice, a online course that I would love to partner with and have it be a part of my platform. So I think that coming together and noticing that just because someone doesn't look like you doesn't mean they have to be a stranger, you know? And when we open our hearts, they can actually be a good friend and an even better friend because they give you a different perspective. It's one thing to be around people that are always going to agree with you. Like you might have a podcast. Everyone agrees. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. 100%. Like, right. No, I'm the kind of person, if I don't agree, I'm going to say I don't agree. I'm not going to love you any less. I'm just going to speak. And that's what, how I learned to stand in my power. And to me, I like having conversations, not arguments, but conversations with people that think differently than me. And that is the only way we're going to grow is to get perspectives with people that grew up different, have different spirituality, have different cultures that they practice and take our differences and understand that is the nectar of life. And, you know, all this about find your tribe, find people that think like you and da, 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 da. Okay. Yes. There's a benefit of, to that, especially when you want to feel understood and heard. But when you really want to grow, you need to be around people that make you uncomfortable and be able to have a conversation with them. Oh yes. Totally agree. Cause it stretches you. It does. It really does. And a lot of us are afraid to be stretched. We're afraid of change. We want to be super comfortable. Let me get the most. And I get it. Like, I want to be comfortable. I was so uncomfortable my whole life. I'm like, let me get comfortable. I want to stay where I want to stay. I want to stay in the ocean. I understood the law of attraction. I got all these things and I got comfortable. I was like, oh, this feels good. Okay. Now let me get uncomfortable so I can grow. How many more people who are oppressed like me, can I bring along the way? So I started my own yoga school. I started my own holistic health and yoga school because I feel like there's not many women of color at the front of the room when it comes to wellness, when it comes to yoga, when it comes to health. So once I got nice and comfy, which is okay, we need to heal ourselves first. That is, I I 100% feel self-care, education is number one. And then once you've learned you're asking, how do I share? Live it, be it, talk about it, share it with someone else. And that's how we heal as a community. First, love yourself, then love others. The world becomes a better place. Yes, 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 yes. I did Chrissy King's Anti-Racism 101 
course for wellness professionals. And she was saying that racism is a public health issue because it's all about safety. And a lot of Black people don't feel safe. And this is why it's a full-on health issue. So do you feel like that too? Do you feel like it's a public health issue? I mean, if you look at Black people and white people, I think they both feel unsafe because if a white cop didn't feel unsafe, you wouldn't have to kill a Black person, right? So yeah, Black people feel unsafe, white people feel unsafe. There's fear. Fear and love can't coexist, period. So if you're white and you're scared, it's a problem. If you're Black and you're scared, it's a problem. Honestly, I think it's a spiritual issue. If we realize that love is all there is and we have to connect and fear is an illusion, you have no reason to be afraid of a person because of the color of their skin. You have no reason to be afraid of a person because you feel like they are superior over you, but it exists. So I personally, yes, it's a public health issue, but it's everybody's scared. You know, it's not just one race is scared. Oh, both people are scared. Why don't you? Why am I not in a program? Okoye is outspoken. She might ruffle some feathers. I uh, don't know if I want to rock the boat. You know, that's fear. I'm scared. I don't want to go there because I'm not going to be accepted, valued, and loved. Fear. Fear. Fear doesn't have a race. Fear doesn't have a color. Fear is fear, point blank. So yeah, it's a public health issue for everyone to be afraid. But I think it's a spiritual issue because we need to lean into love. We need to lean into compassion. We need to lean into those things that make us uncomfortable. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable, be comfortable having difficult conversations, be comfortable disagreeing, but still loving someone. That is what we have to get comfortable with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what about diversifying like in the wellness space? Because obviously you're in the wellness space. How can we diversify there? Like how can we start? I think, you know, just like you're doing, you're doing a great job, but just like standing up, okay, I got some questions. Let's ask these questions. I want to hear your perspective. And I think just wanting to hear other perspectives other than your own, you know, again, we are into in this vibration of like, find your tribe and love them hard. It's like, yes, find your tribe and love them hard and then find other tribes and understand them, right? That's just that next step. And people are not taking that next step. It's like, okay, find a tribe, love them hard. Oh my God, now I'm so happy. Like, like I can bounce on clouds, but there's some people suffering around the corner. Like, is that really oneness that you got what you want and now you're happy? Wellness is not about I. Wellness is about we you know, and there's no I in team. So it's about us coming together. And so once we are well, it is up to us to make sure everyone around us is well, else you're not really well. So true. It's so true. It's been such a big time. And I've also been thinking, what else can we do? Because obviously it went crazy on Instagram and I'm sure other platforms as well. It went absolutely crazy, but it's not, like we've said, it's not just about two weeks on Instagram sharing things. It's about learning yourself, educating yourself. Like this is what I've come to realize for me. It's about me doing the work, watching the documentaries, reading the books, having the conversations, and then embodying what I'm learning, sharing it with my immediate people in my home and then my friends, and then obviously online and continuously doing that. Like it's not just a two-week thing and then it's done. This is going to be something that we'll be talking about forever. And I love that we get to be part of this change. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, when you're doing it forever and when you commit, this is a lifestyle. That's what we know in health is if you really want sustainable change, it has to become your lifestyle. So your lifestyle has to be breaking systems of oppression. Your lifestyle has to be anti-racism. Your lifestyle has to be inclusive. And once that becomes your lifestyle, that's when change is going to happen. But there's some groups now, it's just like, okay, it's all white people. And I'm like, wait, we had a group that was have a little bit diverse and now it's just all white people. They're like, yeah, because we're going through this thing together. Well, what's the point? If you're just around people that are going to agree with you, it does not make sense. Now, not every black person can handle being in a group of all white people and they're the only one. I understand that. But there are some people where that's most of their lifestyle and they can. There are some people that don't want to. It's really heavy time, especially for me as a black woman. I have to balance out how much I can take of addressing all of these microaggressions because, again, I'm re-traumatizing myself every time I have to bring it up. Then I have to do my breath work and yoga. So I wrote my book, Let Your Fears Make You Fears. But every time I dig into those fears, I am experiencing some trauma. And then I do my breath work, my yoga, my free writing. I heal it. And then I come out stronger. But unless I'm willing to go in, then I'm not forward moving in my life. And I'm not uplifting my culture. I'm not uplifting my people. So I have to do the work. Again, I myself can't get comfortable either because I know as a leader, I have to stand up and I have to lead the way. Yes, absolutely. You're a beautiful leader. And there's two words that you've said a couple of times now that are really beautiful and really resonate with me. And that is inclusion and oneness. Like this is truly what it's about, inclusion and remembering oneness. And if we just remember those two things, like whenever we're doing anything, whenever we are creating an event or a program or anything, just think about inclusion and oneness. Like that is where it starts. Like, am I being inclusive here or am I being not? You know, that's a question that we can ask ourselves. So I love, I love that. I love those words. What about, I feel like you talk a little bit about, I heard you on Sahara's episode and you were talking about politics. You know, what do you think needs to change there for us to really make an impact? And, you know, what would you ideally love to see? I want to address something and then we'll hop into politics, but it's something that I thought about and came up in my soul when you said about, you know, we're talking about events and being inclusive. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to be inclusive. So I'm going to invite a black woman speaker to my event. That is great. That is one step forward. But another thing you can do is actually invite people of color to your actual event. And if it's, way too expensive, offer a discount or scholarship. So again, it's not just all one type of people. So it's not only just hiring a speaker or hiring a model. That's tokenism, right? It's like, how can you put a policy in place where it's not only just the speaker, but you're inviting a whole community of people and you have that perspective on stage and you have people in the audience that are observing all the perspectives and seeing how they work together. That is inclusivity. And also not just having a person there, but actually listening to what they have to say. Exactly. Yeah. Tokenism, it's a thing. It's a thing. And for people who might not have heard about it, it's where you do what you just said, where you, oh, okay, I've got to be an inclusive and I've got to just invite a black speaker just so I'm inclusive and I can tick that box, you know, tick it off. But you're right. It's not about that. It's going deeper. 
I think inviting people, especially we have so many people and you have a huge audience that has like lots of online courses. And I think something that I can do, which I haven't mentioned on a podcast, is just offer scholarships for people of color to come and go through the program and get that knowledge and get that information, whether they're getting it from you or someone else, it's going to be very beneficial and it's going to help because a lot of times the prices are so absorbent. It's like, well, I need that information that can help me build, but I don't have that that entropy. And we know we're not learning the things we need to learn to be an entrepreneur or a great online marketer in school or in college. So I think something for all the people listening, that's something that you can do. Not only invite a speaker to be on your panel, you know, for, for that reason, but also invite communities that you know are oppressed and communities that you know are at a disadvantage and and create scholarships and create, you know, things that can help them get the education that they need to come ahead. And I think it's education. That's another thing based on where you live. You don't have the same education. And when we go online, you don't have it. Look at any huge online summit or high income armor summit. Where do you see a woman of color? Maybe two or three men of color, but where are the women of color? Where are they? I don't see any. Very, very, very few. And again, we are increasing, but we're increasing because some people are opening their doors. Okay, here's the opportunity. How can I help you? How can I assist you? How can I hold space? Again, it's asking that question. And when it comes to politics, I think that we try to have our hands off because it's so messy. We can't be afraid to get messy. We can't be afraid to get our hands dirty. We have to go in there, in the dirt, in the soil, put our hands in and see how it feels. And it's going to feel pretty crummy. And every politician feels the same way. Instead of being behind the scene, criticizing everyone that walks across the stage or everyone that's on the ballot, what are you doing? I cannot criticize anyone or I mean, I definitely am like, okay, who am I going to choose? Well, are you up there? What are you doing in your community? And I put links to vote on my thing. There was a while that I did. I got very disgruntled and I felt like my voice didn't matter. My vote didn't matter. And I stopped voting. And then my aunt who ran for lieutenant governor in Chicago got me out of that. But that's how a lot of people feel. They feel like no matter if I do vote, they're going to do these email things and they're going to do these vote tricks. And all of a sudden, I'm just going to waste my effort. But again, we have to realize our voice matters. And if there are tricks of the trade going on, we have to uncover them. But we can't uncover them if we have our hands off. We can't uncover them if we're expecting someone else to do it. So we have to, when it comes to politics, we, each person listening, has to take responsibility and know your input matters, your voice matters, your vote matters. And once we realize that we matter and we are responsible to getting our communities, no matter how small, to know and become active in politics, that's when we're going to see massive change in politics. Absolutely. I think it's also really important. It doesn't matter if you have a million people on Instagram or you have 10 people, your voice matters. Like your voice matters and you have impact. Like you're impacting the people in your four walls, your husband or your partner or your family. And I don't want people to think, oh, well, I won't vote because, you know, or I won't say this because it's just little old me over here. No, like you matter, your voice matters and you deserve to share. So I just want to inspire everybody to remember that your voice does matter. Yeah. And the more that you research and research the candidates and get to know them, where are they from, where are their families, what policies are they behind, you feel more involved. I know that it can seem a little bit like kind of, you know, 
a little bit like your voice doesn't matter if you just show up and you're like, okay, I'm just going to tick all the Democratic boxes or all the Republican boxes. You know, I'm just going to tick some boxes based on what everyone says. But if you really want to feel connected, you really have to get to know who's running for what and why. And that's something that I've been increasing over the years because I was that person. I just go in there, okay, who am I supposed to vote for? Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> right? So, but we really have to understand these policies because they affect all of us. And so even though we're like, oh, okay, I'm anti-racist and I'm doing what I can in my community, but I'm not going to vote because I'm not into politics. Well, you're doing what you can in your community. But at the end of the day, if the voting and the rulings in healthcare, in the government, and our schools are being affected by politics, then are you really helping? Or are you just fake helping? Like, oh, I'm gonna show on Instagram me doing this great thing for you. I'm gonna talk about on my podcast all these great things I'm doing. Or are you helping full circle? Helping, really helping, means every time you have the opportunity, you speak up. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like every time you're faced with a decision of love or fear, you choose love. Fear is not voting. Fear is not speaking up. Love is leaning in. Love is knowing it's going to be uncomfortable and doing it anyway. So that's what oneness is about. It's doing it because you know that it's a step forward in the right direction. Fear is staying small. Fear is being silent. But if we really want to see world change, we have to lean into those discomforts. We have to lean into those times. We want to be silent. We want to play it safe. That's what we have to lean into. Yes, sister. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. I I talk a lot about that. There's always only ever two choices, love or fear in every situation, in anything. You know, I know some people might feel like I've got so many things to choose from. It's if you like strip it all back, it's just love or fear. That's it. From every decision that you make in your life, it's love or fear. And yeah, everything comes back to that. Absolutely. And every challenge is an opportunity to grow. Every single challenge. So if it's hard, if it makes your stomach turn, boom, that's your money. That's how you're going to continue growing. You don't want to get comfortable. If you're never having that icky feeling in your stomach, if you're never sweating under your armpits, if you're never raising the hair on your arms, then are you living full out or are you playing small? And you know, in our careers, it's like, no, let's live full out. Let's play. Let's put all the cards on deck. So I challenge everyone to just go all in in every part of your life. Every time you have a challenge, step up to the plate and swing. It doesn't matter if you miss a couple of times because guess what? If you keep swinging, eventually you're going to hit a home run. Yes. Play full out. Go all in. Dive in. Be all here. And it's such a beautiful example for your children too, to witness you maybe taking a swing and you miss. Like what? a great lesson for your kids, you know? And I know for me, I'm a stepmom, so I haven't birthed any children myself. But I know for me, like even I thought, you know, I've got to be perfect for him and he can't see that I mess up sometimes. I mess up a lot of times. And that, I lived like that for a lot of years and it was exhausting. And then I realized the biggest way that he's going to learn from me is from watching me fall down and then how I get back up and watching me how I do that, that's how he's going to learn. Not by being perfect and staying in my comfort zone and never having a swing at life. That he won't learn. 
Exactly. We have to mirror, not just tell, not just, you know, say what we want to do, but we have to mirror. And that's what we have to do in our communities. That's what we have to do in politics is we have to mirror when I make a mistake, when it's messy, when I make the wrong choice, not be afraid to mess up, not being afraid to get it wrong and not being afraid to apologize because that's when children really learn. You realize, oh, because they're going to mess up too. And teaching them how to apologize and own their mistakes will keep them from trying to be perfect and realize that it's okay to, you know, admit like, you know what, I made a mistake. I did this, but you know, I realized afterwards, that's not the right thing to say. That's not the right thing to do. Or I was silent. And you know what? I should have said something. And I think if we're not afraid to be wrong and realize, again, it goes back to love and fear. Fear is if I admit that I am wrong, someone is going to think less of, of me when it's the opposite. When you admit you are wrong, people understand that you are human. You're not this perfect picture. You're not, you don't have to be a perfect mom to be loved because no one can love you fully if they don't know who you truly are. And if you're wearing this mask of perfection, you're actually not allowing yourself to be fully loved. And I had to learn this the hard way. And it's like, okay, if everyone thinks you never have problems, you have it all together, which I had trained myself to be that so that I could get by. I had to not have problems. I had to not have a bad day. I had to show up every day on time and stay late in order to move forward. But then there come a point where it's like, when are you going to breathe? When are you going to practice self-care? Because again, life is about balance. Yes, you have to go hard, but you also have to know when to rest. If we look at nature, nature is a perfect example. You have daytime, you have nighttime. In the day you're active, and the night you're supposed to rest. I'm listening to these podcasts and they're like, lose sleep. You need to get four hours of sleep. I went like three years getting four hours of sleep and I got some stuff done, but I'm going to tell you, it was really bad on my health. Now I'm getting more accomplished. Last night, I got eight hours of sleep. Most nights I get six. You know, every now and then I might still get four here and there, but I really understand the value of allowing my time, my body, my mind, my soul to recover Work is going to be there in the morning. And now I'm actually more successful because I'm more balanced. Because what is success? If we spend our whole youth trying to gain this wealth and we lose our health and we're on all this coffee, all these energy drinks, all this medicine, trying to make six figures, seven figures, put all this money in the bank, but then we look like we're 65 and we're only 35, then what have we gained if we lose our health in the race? But if we learn to balance, if we learn to do as much as we can during the day, rest, recover, self-care, family at night, we realize there's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be something we can put our love into during the day. And it's always going to be time to rest, recover, and pour into yourself at night. And to me, that's just a healthier way to live. Mm, totally agree. Preach, sister, preach. And you know, I was also thinking about, you know, we've got night and day and then we've also got the seasons, you know, this is the four seasons that we go through as well. So, and then we've got our monthly menstrual cycle, another season that we go through in a month. So yeah, we really do need to tune into our bodies, tune into the seasons. We need to, yes, work and go for it and play full out, but then also like self-care, yoga, all the things to fill ourselves back up. Definitely. Especially, you know, we're in a time where we're on devices, there's Wi-Fi, there's lots more of that stuff that we are dealing with now more than ever. So we do, we do need to fill ourselves up and take really good care of ourselves for sure. 
Absolutely. I think the the biggest thing that I promised myself is that I would not work more than I play or practice my spirituality and self-care. So most of the days it's 50-50 because I do play full out, but I make sure because it wasn't always like this that I'm, you know, taking that time to journal, taking that time to write, to breathe, to meditate, to practice sound healing, all of the things that I love to do all the things that keep me healthy. Because if I don't, I'm going to be overcome by those microaggressions. I'm going to be overcome by the anxiety. Like when I saw the video of George Floyd, like my brother had gotten jumped when I was eight and I started having PTSD reliving this situation because I just saw my my brother die. I didn't see George. That was my brother. And he was my brother. And it was so traumatic to me that I was dark for about three days. And I was praying like, okay, I want to come out of this. And I realized, you know, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me to realize that trauma from when I was eight years old is still in my body. And me speaking up, doing these podcasts, making a difference, taking a stand is healing that within myself. So yes, I did my transformational letter writing and I wrote my letters and I did my breath work and yoga and I got myself back to a healthy state. And also we have to understand that making a difference and doing something, it's empowering. It's not just allowing life to happen. And if you're feeling like, oh, I feel so guilty. I don't know if I can do, do something. It doesn't have to be the, do something, do anything. It doesn't have to be like the biggest thing in the world. Just do something each day. And over time, you're going to feel empowered. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel like, okay, I am really owning this. I am in this. This is my lifestyle. This is what I'm committed to. And then you start feeling good in your soul. So if you don't feel good in your soul, if you feel like you're not doing enough, then it's probably right. That's what your body is telling you. So you should do more. You know, if you feel like you're doing enough, you feel good within yourself. Good. Keep moving forward at that vibration. That's that's how you know you found the sweet spot. But if you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame, that just means you need to educate yourself more. You need to have more conversations, you know, and I feel like that's why I try not to judge anyone on their activism, because everyone's at a different level of what they can handle and take. So my question is, your body is your biggest teacher. Your body will let you know. And anytime you feel any type of fear, any type of discomfort, that is a signal. And you have to ask yourself or get with a coach that can help you unpack where that is coming from. Because we all, the subtitle of my book is Let Your Fears Make You Fear, how to overcome obstacles, you know, and turning those obstacles into seeds for growth, you know. And I feel like when we face an obstacle, we can plant a seed that will later blossom. But a seed is not going to blossom right away. The seed is planted when you realize, ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Ooh, I feel guilty. Ooh, this is too much for me. Boom, seed is planted. Now you have to water it. Water it with communication. Water it with education. Water it with doing what you can do one day at a time. And eventually you will have a flower, a full-bloomed flower. Mm, Beautiful. So how can we educate ourselves more in terms of books. Like if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your book, let's pretend that that's already in the curriculum because it should be for sure. But what is one other book that you would love to see in the school curriculum of every high school? I think one that I'm reading now, and I've I've listened to the entire audio, and now I'm going through it with my students, is Me and White Supremacy 
Balayla Saad. And I think she's done a really good job of just educating the perspective. And I feel like it's all about perspective and understanding what's out there. And so I would say in this moment, that book is landing for a lot of people. A lot of people, a lot of my white friends, you know, have created groups. And I feel like whatever it is that people are going to actually read, that's what's going to work, you know? So you really, it's really a trial and error and everyone's different. So it's like, have a couple books and what what are people reading? And there's also White Fragility. I know you said one, but the thing is, I honestly feel like every there's different strokes for different folks and you really have to do two or three different books and find what lands the most for you. I know 13th for the film that's on YouTube for free, that movie I really think it helps people understand the systems of oppression that Black people experience. So I would say the 13th from YouTube is what's landing for most people. And I try to keep, you know, devouring these resources myself as a Black woman, but also asking my white friends, what's landing for you? What are you getting? What are you receiving? And then having conversation. How do you feel when I say this? Okay, you said this to me just like I did in our conversation. Okay, that when you tell me that analogy or that story, this is how it feels to me. And I feel like having those conversations, again, real people, real conversations. You can read all the books. You know, all of my friends have read all the books, all the books on racism. Now that we're two weeks in, all my intelligent, high level uh, friends have read all those books, but it's not all landing. And I'm still having the experience of microaggressions and We're just having one-on-one conversations and that is what lands. So yes, educate, but then have conversations with people that don't look like you have, you know, like you're having me on your podcast, have summit and get different perspectives. Perspective is everything. Community is everything. If you go in a house and say, okay, how does the mom want to be treated? Okay, let's treat everyone like we treat the mom. That's not going to work. Let's treat everyone like we treat the dad. That's not going to work. Let's treat everyone like we treat. That is not going to work. Everyone has to be treated according to how they feel most loved. We talk about the five love languages, right? Everyone wants to be loved in a different way. Everyone in every different way wants to be loved in a different way. So literally, it is about first opening your heart, knowing there's not a one size fits all. You're not going to check a box. I don't care how many resources you read. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. I don't care. You have to interact with people point blank period. And if you live in Australia and you only got a few people around, like you're doing online, on Instagram, and getting into discussion groups where it's more diverse. Because I understand that everyone doesn't live in a place where it's a plethora of diversity. I had to move out of the South to experience the diversity that I experienced, but it has blessed my life. Being able to travel to different cultures, to being able to study different spiritual, it has blessed my life. And I feel like now, With social media being as huge as it is, we all have this opportunity. And honestly, I feel like that's why we're seeing so much massive change is because we have social media. And I know a lot of people want to bash it, but I will say because of these cameras, because of these blogs, because of these platforms, we're having the conversations. We're getting our heart handed to us here and there. But I mean, the other day I put up like the Pono Pono and it was offensive to someone Hawaiian and I had to take it down because I understood what they were saying. I was like, Ooh, I didn't try to do that. And I've been saying it and it's been blessing my life. But then I had to put the shoe on my foot. How would you feel? Ooh, let me take that down. Respect. So again, it is about having a conversation. It's about listening and making a choice. Am I going to be choose fear Dang, man, that already got a lot of likes. It already got people. It's changing people's lives. I was doing it, trying to be inspiring. It's inspiring, but it offended 
It offended this culture. It offended this group of people. So am I going to be so concerned about my own self and my intention? Because my intentions were good. Like we said earlier, my intentions were very good and very healing. And it was making impact. But the impact on the culture where I learned it was negative. That is cultural appropriation. So, and that's when you take something from a culture and you use it without really fully understanding the impact of that culture, how that culture uses it, why it's important to them, why it is sacred. And once I was aware of that sacredness, I respected it. I understood. And again, it's a case-by-case narrative, but I chose to respect it. I chose to remove it. And it was a big learning lesson to me. And I feel like if we're not afraid to do things like that, to admit when we were wrong, to take things down that are super offensive, we're going to be in those conversations that are healing to humanity. Yes. I love that. I love that you as well pivoted and you pivoted quickly. You know, you owned it and you were like, okay, I'm going to take this down. This has been so amazing. And we've spoken a little bit about some of the healing things that you do and how you take care of yourself. So I'd love to hear a little bit more of those before we wrap up. I want to know what are some of the tools that you use? How do you start your day? Like, can you talk us through some of your morning routines and your spiritual practices and how a day looks for you? I would love to. And I'm going to start it by saying this is a marathon and not a sprint. And it's not about perfectionism or doing anything like I do it. I have a lot on my plate. So I need a lot of self-care. When I tell people my rituals and routines, they're like, oh my God, what you get done in a day, I wouldn't even get done in a week. And I understand that. Do you have kids? Nope. Yeah. So that's good to preface it as well, because some people might be like, does she have kids? Does she not have kids? Because I get it'll change, you know, when kids are involved. It does. I mean, I have a yoga teacher training where I'm working with 12 people from eight to four. So everyone has their things, right? Everyone has, you know, the things that they can say, you have this lifestyle, this lifestyle, these obstacles, right? We talked about obstacles most of the call. But at the end of the day, No matter what life you choose, because we are choosing this life, you choose to have kids, you choose not to have kids. There's benefits, there's pluses and minuses. You choose to be in a relationship that you don't. There's pluses and minuses to everything. No matter what life you have chosen, you have to first and foremost practice self-care because the healthier you are, the healthier you will be for your partner, for your children, and for the world the healthier you are. And so the more you can make time where you're a mama, not a brother, a sister, a leader, again, everyone chooses that life. But no matter what life you choose, this is still the same. Self-care. Self-care, taking care of yourself. You know, the sun rests, the moon rests. You know, it's not like all the time, you know, everything, nature rests, nature hibernates. And so we are in this cycle, like like you were, we were mentioning before about, you know, the women's feminine cycle and our moon cycle rises and falls with the moons, it wanes. And if we follow these cycles of nature, we will be more in balance. So with that being said, I wake up every morning, I have my lemon and lime water, I have my smoothies. Sometimes one week I'll do celery juice and one week on and off the celery juice. I love having a smoothie in the morning. A couple times a week I might have some pancakes, some French toast. I've been vegan for 15 years. And I find the most important thing that people need to understand is the difference between alkalinity and acidity. And this happens mentally, spiritually, and physically. 
So mentally, when you're thinking all these negative thoughts, you're really frustrated, you're stressed out, you're trying to figure it out, that's acidity in the body. When spiritually you don't know what you believe and you're frustrated about every single religion that comes across, that's acidity in the body. Physically, when you work out hard or don't work out at all, all of that is acidity in the body. So again, good stress and bad stress is what? Still stress, acidity in the body. So alkalinity is meditation, it's fruits and vegetables, it's doing the things that will calm your nervous system down, will get you into the parasympathetic. So we have, you know, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is high stress, high anxiety, go, 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 got to get things done, four hours of sleep, ba-da-da-da-da-da. You know, our, our foot is on the gas. That's the acid lifestyle. Alkaline is okay, I get things done, but I'm resting, I'm balancing it out. And that's going to leave you more alkaline. And so we are going to thrive and be our healthiest in an alkaline state. So it's no judgment, right? It's just about balance. So you don't have to do everything perfectly like I do it. You just have to maintain alkaline. And you have to understand when your eyes start jumping, when you start drinking too much coffee, when you start pounding those energy drinks, acidity, acidity. When you start working out so hard, you can't even walk, acidity, just know that that's not healthy. And so I do my smoothie. I have a salad for lunch every day. I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and at night. I get some time in nature, usually at lunchtime and at sunset. So after this call, I'm going to go take my sunset walk. I talk to my family at night. I talk to my friends. I go on dinner dates with my friends, men and women. I have men and women that I hang out with. I have romantic partners. I also have friends. I have just a healthy lifestyle. And I feel like we have to have masculine and feminine energy in our life. We have to have children. Whether you have children, no, I haven't birthed children like you, but I still have children in my life that I take care of. Life is about community. Life is about oneness. So we're going to be in our healthiest state when we keep ourselves alkaline. We're going to be in our healthiest state when we're part of community because that's how we were created. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you look at all the blue zones, do you know much about the blue zones around the world? Oh, yeah. In the blue zones, they're exercising. They're spending time in the community. Yeah, they're eating a plant-based diet. They're spending time in nature because those things are going to calm you. And even if communities are not practicing yoga per se, they're doing some type of stretching or walking or something that's going to bring their heart rate down. Yeah, exactly. And one of the biggest components of all of the blue zones around the world is community. At the end of the day, it's everything. You know, if you don't have your life to share with family and friends, then it's not as fulfilling. So I love that you mentioned that. And they're all incredible tips. I know you also do a lot of breath work and obviously yoga. And you mentioned so many great self-care rituals and things like that, that everyone can talk about. And when you strip it all back and you ask yourself, is this going to make me alkaline or is this going to make me acidic? If you ask yourself that question before you do anything or before you put anything in your mouth, then it's really going to help you a lot. Like, is this going to help me become alkaline or is this going to make me acidic? Then you might think twice about what you're about to do. So I love that. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Oh yeah. Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing if we had to do one thing. Conscious breathing. I've been getting so much. I've been getting really into my breath work and loving it. I had Wim Hof on my podcast a couple of months ago now, and he inspired me so much to get back into breath work. And I've been doing it each day and just love it. So thank you for the reminder. 
And then conscious breathing is just inhale for five and exhale for five. Inhale for the count of five and exhale for the count of five. And you do that for five minutes. If you do that for five minutes, three times a day, it's going to change your life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we breathe up here in our chests and we're not doing diaphragmatic breathing, which is when we get into parasympathetic. So it's so important. Okay. Number two, what is one thing that we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. You will have abundance in every area of your life when you think about your community. Because if someone is poor anywhere, we're all poor everywhere. If someone is hurting and harm anywhere, then it's going to eventually affect your abundance. So when you make sure that whatever you're doing of service is not only for you, but it's for the community, that's when you make a change. Beautiful. And what's one thing that we can do for more love in the world and in our life? Mm, Self-reflection. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share, any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on? I guess I'll go deeper into the self-reflection. When you really are willing to look inside yourself and really unpack the places you have the fear, you have the doubt, the worry, the limiting beliefs, what you have within, it's what we're seeing outside. So if we're all willing to do the work not just going to books and educating ourselves on the outside, but going within, where do I have bias? Where do I have conflict? Where do I have pain? Where do I not feel seen and heard? Then we'll really be able to understand the life of others. When we take it personally, we understand that we are one. And that's why self-reflection is so important because once you understand it in your life, you can understand it in the world. Yes, absolutely. This has been so beautiful. I have one last question for you. The work that you do in the world and just how you show up, you serve so many people. You really do. You're making such a big difference. You're a game changer. You're a trailblazer. How can we give back to you? How can we serve you today? Mm. I feel like you can serve me by serving your community, by serving humanity, by breaking down these systems of oppression. I just I just want them gone. I want them gone out of healthcare, out of education. I think that's what we're focused on right now is just like just making it so that our government and the places that are here to help us all are really teaching the right things, are holding the right space and not holding people back, especially Black people. And so right now, if everyone can just educate and see how can we change systems, how can we vote, how can we change politics, how can we change from a core level, how can we change the foundation, you'll be doing the most for me. Because when you do the most for humanity, you're doing the most for me because I am humanity. Absolutely. You are such a light. You are beautiful. I have absolutely loved connecting with you and hearing your wisdom. And you are such a game changer and a trailblazer. And I'm so grateful that you were able to come on my show. Koya Webb, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Wow. Okay. So I got so much out of this episode. 
And I'm sure you did too. This is such an important conversation. Please, if you got lots out of it, subscribe, leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app and share, share, share. Please, this is such an important topic, such an important conversation. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at melissarambrosini.com and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all. And I am going to love hearing what you got out of this one. And for everything that Koya and I mentioned in today's podcast, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 319. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for clicking on this episode. It shows me a lot about you and who you are. And I just want to honor you for that. You are an amazing human being. I know that you want to help and I know that you want to spread love in the world. So I honor you for that. And if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I think every single human being on this earth could benefit from this episode. We need to start opening up this conversation. We need to change the narrative and we need to open up this dialogue with the people in our family, our friends, our communities, and on our platforms. This is where it all begins. So please share it on your platforms. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to people, text it to people, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. Please, it is going to make a difference. As soon as we are all aware, we can then take action and make change. That's where it all starts. So thank you for being here. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.